Anyone know what that is? That's music to my ears. That's another sale on Shopify, the all-in-one commerce platform to start, run, and grow your business. Shopify makes it simple to sell to anyone from anywhere. Whether you're selling shirts or sandals, start selling with Shopify and join the platform simplifying commerce for millions of businesses worldwide. With Shopify, you'll customize your online store to your brand, discover new customers, and build relationships that will keep them coming back. Shopify covers all the sales channels to successfully grow your business, from an in-person POS system to an all-in-one e-commerce platform, even across social media platforms like TikTok, Facebook, and Instagram. And thanks to 24-7 support and free on-demand business courses, Shopify is here to help you succeed every step of the way. It's how every minute, new sellers around the world make their first sale with Shopify. And you can do it too. I love how Shopify makes it simple for anyone to sell their products anywhere. Whether they're eBooks or earrings, Shopify simplifies starting and running your own successful business. When you're ready to take your idea to the world, do it with Shopify, the commerce platform powering millions of businesses down the street and around the globe. Now it's your turn to try Shopify for free and start selling anywhere. So sign up for a free trial at shopify.com slash c-suite, all lowercase on c-suite. Go to shopify.com slash c-suite, all lowercase on c-suite, to start selling online today. Shopify.com slash c-suite. You're listening to Thinking Outside the Bud, where we speak with entrepreneurs, investors, thought leaders, researchers, advocates, and policymakers who are finding new and exciting ways for cannabis to positively impact business, society, and culture. And now, here is your host, business coach, Bruce Eckfeldt. Welcome, everyone. This is Thinking Outside the Bud. I'm Bruce Heckfeldt. I'm your host. And our guest today is Deborah Borchardt, and she is co-founder and CEO of Green Market Report, which is a cannabis financial news website. We're going to learn a little bit more about her background in finance, in reporting, and hear what she's doing with uh, Green Market. So with that, Deborah, welcome to the program. Well, thank you so much for having me, Bruce. So yes, I have founded the Green Market Report. My background is really from Wall Street. I worked in the securities industry for many years and had Series 7, 63, 65 licenses. So that was really my background. And I kind of got a little disillusioned with the Wall Street world (laughs) pretty much about the time, right? Uh, Pretty much about the time we had Elliot Spitzer, which says a lot just naming that name uh, back when he decided to go after Wall Street. Yeah, And at, well, at that point, I decided to leave and I got my master's degree in business and economic reporting from New York University because I had always liked talking about the market. Yeah. And so it seemed like reporting about the market was a great combination of my background in the securities industry. But, you know, learning about journalism and how to write and such was was really exciting. Sure. And I got my master's degree. I started working at thestreet.com with Jim Cramer. I worked yeah. there for about eight years. And, and what was that like? What's it, what's it like to work with Jim? <laughs> he is so amazing. Yeah. I, I have nothing but good things to say about Jim. He is really, really smart about so many stocks. Yeah. He's also very humble in that he will tell people, look, I don't, I don't know that one. I'll have to look it up. Mm-hmm. You know, he doesn't try to pretend he knows everything about everything. Uh, but having said that, 
I don't think I, and I've worked with a lot of people in the securities industry. I've never met anyone who had such a command of so many different stocks and so much minutia yeah. about each one of them. It really is phenomenal. And just watching, watching a show and watching him talk about things that the, the details he can kind of just bring up and know about and stitch together is, is pretty amazing. Smart guy. It really is. And yeah. and he's the first to tell you that, you know, mad money is entertainment yeah. and the show and then what he does on uh, regular CNBC is a little bit more straightforward. Mm-hmm. And then, he, you know, people always ask me, well, what's he like in the office? And he's just like, just kind of quiet and yeah. just regular guy in the office. Save, and, saves you know, his energy for TV, the camera. You yeah. have to pump it up a little. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So you spent eight years there. Spent eight years there. And then that was really where I started covering cannabis was okay. recognizing that People were getting really interested in it from mainstream businesses. And this is go, I'm telling you, this is going back really when we first started getting the, you know, dodgy pot stocks, I'll call it. Um, (laughs) When people just put the word cannabis in their stock name and would sell shares and have nothing to do with cannabis. Because really back then, there really wasn't that much going on here. And then give us some some years. What were the, this was, what years? This would have been about six or seven years ago. Okay. So like 11, 11, 12, yeah. something like that. Okay. Yeah. It's hard. It's, you so, know, timeframes in this, in this business are so sort of it's skewed. like dog years. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> and, and back then, like I said, there were a lot of really shady companies and I felt that it was really important for me as a journalist to let investors know that some of these companies were just sketchy and yeah. to not invest in them. And or to just expose them for who they were. And that was kind of when I really got involved in it. And I also had gotten a story at that time that Budweiser was sponsoring a festival in Denver. And I thought, wow, that's interesting. Budweiser, you know, that's a big name. Yeah. And that clued me into that this was going to be a really huge story because if, if the beer companies were already jumping on the bandwagon, this was saying a lot. And this yeah. is, again, going back at the beginning. So I started freelancing. I was just kind of bouncing around. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't really seeing the type of reporting that I wanted to see. I was writing with Forbes. And Forbes' audience is very general yeah. in nature. So I couldn't do deep dives. When I did, the editors would always be like, oh, well, could you just define CBD? Could you just define <laughs> flowers? So the whole first three paragraphs would be... Uh, I know. CBD is cannabidiol and it's this, this and that and flower is this, this and that. And I wouldn't get to the story for, you know, 75 words. Yeah. So I really wanted to do a lot more smart financial reporting. And because I couldn't find yeah. anything out there, I created my own. Yeah. So, and when did you first, when, when did the kind of idea enter your mind of, of creating your own platform for this? What would, where were you in time? So that was 2017, and I have a business partner. Her name is Cynthia Celerizada, and Cynthia had said, you know, what are you doing? You, you, everybody respects you. Everybody knows you. You're kind of a little here, a little there. And I had said, you know, I really want to start this website. I really can't do it on my own, though, because yeah. that's basically a blog, and a blog is going to do nothing for me. Yeah. And, um, and I knew I needed a team. And so we teamed up and got Vince Patetti, who is our web designer and our tech officer. And the three of us, you know, put together Green Market Report. So 
we launched in September of 2017. So we are starting our second year in, in business and yeah. we're about a year and a half live online. That's great. Now, when you started, were you, uh, were you well kind of steeped in cannabis at that point or was, was cannabis just kind of one of the things you covered and, and this was kind of doubling down on this, on this market? I was, I was pretty much full time on that coverage. I did a okay. little bit of other types of little bit of retail coverage for Forbes too, because they had wanted that, but mm-hmm. this was really my passion. So that, that's really what I was best at and knew the most about yeah. and was, had built my brand, if you will. Yeah. Okay. And, so you had a personal, you, you had a sort of personal brand or you had a personal connection to the, to the topic coming into it. Okay. Right. In journalism, you see this more and more where people really specialize yeah. in certain areas, especially in the financial world. You've got tech reporters that are just tech reporters and biotech reporters are really yeah. very much focused and specialized in those areas. So so some of these areas in journalism really work well with specialized focus. Yeah. I'm always curious for folks that, you know, kind of coming into the industry, how was there any kind of dynamics for you in terms of, you know, friends, family, things like that when when you sort of came out as being, you know, a, ca- a cannabis covering uh, reporter? I've, I've heard various stories of, you know, it, it kind of affects their lives in different ways. What, what did you find? What was your experience? You know, I've covered so many different things mm-hmm. throughout the different beats that I've I've done. And as I explained it to my son, which I think was the best yeah. way to, to approach this, because I had a teenage son. Well, I still have a teenage son. <laughs> he was younger than then. I uh, was a younger teenager in high school. And yeah, how do you how do you yeah. approach that subject with a kid in high school where they're going through DARE programs? Yeah. Uh, I basically said, listen, you know, I covered robotics, but I didn't go out into the garage and start building a robot. You know, I I covered banking. I didn't go and start a bank. So if I'm writing about cannabis, that doesn't necessarily mean, you know, I am. (laughs) We're going to start rolling in the kitchen. (laughs) Bowls and bowls of cannabis. So. You know, and and he was pretty cool with it. He was yeah. he was fine. Yeah, I think it's you know the the interesting aspect of you know this industry or this market or or you know this kind of segment is that uh, it is so multifaceted. I mean, you know, there's financial kind of pure financial analysis. There's cultural analysis. There's medical analysis. I mean, uh, you know, there's there's all these different facets of it. So I'm uh, I think as this market matures, it's just really interesting to see what angles people are taking and what angles people are covering and getting involved in. So when you I guess, what was the kind of editorial or or focus strategy for Green Market? I mean, how did you want to fit in terms of the world of information around cannabis that's out there in the world? How did you want to, what part of that did you want to own? So my idea was to really be, as I like to call it, the CNBC of cannabis. I wanted to be hyper-focused and narrowly focused into the financial side of reporting on cannabis. So there are you know, other outlets that are out there, there mm-hmm. are stock traders that are doing a little bit of this, but at the end of the day, they're trying to sell you portfolio tips or or access to their trading ideas. So they've got a little bit of a bias there. Mm-hmm. There are other financial outlets that don't do very much of a deep dive in some of these stories. They, you know, 200, 300 words, they're out. Or they're just republishing press releases. And to me, if you've read a press release nowadays, they're written by the lawyers. And it's very hard to understand for a lot of people what they're even saying because <laughs> it's so full. I mean, you're laughing because yeah. you know what I'm uh, talking yeah, about. Yeah, I know. I read them so all the time. Legalese. Yeah. Um, or 
a company will report their earnings. And if you look at the press release, the press release doesn't even say whether they made money or lost money. <laughs> if they've lost money, it's buried so far down that you don't. And sometimes they don't even say it. it you have yeah. to go and find the filing itself to yeah. find it. Yeah. And that's what I felt like was that people needed a website that actually did this type of reporting that if a company reported its earnings that we went and looked to find, did they make money or did they not make money? And yeah. if they didn't make money, how did they lose that money? And how, wh why were their losses so high mm -hmm. instead of just taking the press release at face value? And so we, we try to really provide that ability to bring those terms into a, uh, a very accessible way to understand what's happening with these companies. Got it. Got it. And how do how do you get your information? Because you know, with a, you know, a lot of these things are not. Uh, uh, a lot of these companies are not public. You know, federal issues. Uh, you know, have all sorts of challenges in terms of um, IPOs and, and whatnot. Where where do you tend to get your insight? What um, uh, what companies are you kind of focusing on covering? How do, how do you how do you make that work? I do mostly cover publicly traded companies just okay. because it is easier to get information. Some of the private companies, I just have relationships with them or yeah. relationships with people who send me information. You know, that's just part of journalism is building these relationships and, yeah. and having them to call people to be able to call people. You know, sometimes you're having to reach out to them and get copies of legal documents from lawsuits and things of that nature. And that's really where you find a lot of juicy material is, <laughs> is in the lawsuit documents. Oh, yeah. Discovery. Discovery is a fascinating process. Oh, yeah. I mean, and it, but it takes time. And that's, you yeah. know, of course, the issue with journalism today is that it does take time to do these types of things. And there's no there's no shortcut. It just takes time. Yeah. And, uh, you know, with the, with the, you know, kind of the growth, no, no pun intended, but the growth of the industry, you know, and just kind of the, you know, the dynamics of everything that's going on, how, I guess, how, how do you keep up? I mean, are, are your, are there areas of focus that you, that you've kind of doubled down on and things you haven't worried about, or how, how do you kind of maintain your pulse and uh, process all this data because you're right it's a, it's a huge amount of data that's out there in terms of you know these companies and what's going on in the industry how have you what's your strategy it's that's a really great question because it has really i feel like exploded in the last six to eight months yeah and i've got three email addresses at this point because my <laughs> one inbox got so overwhelmed that i couldn't even keep up with it yeah you know i'll get maybe 30 pitches a day and that's just the pitches I'll, I have one email that I get at least 150 emails a day, a day. I can't wow. even read them all because I get so many. And these are and these are mostly people that are helping covering these companies that want to get information out through your... Yeah, they're, they're all, yeah. And, the, you know, one of the problems with cannabis companies is that they sneeze and they send out a press release. And it's just, <laughs> it's just, a, I'm always trying to tell the PR people, you know, Email me when you get the license, not that you applied for it. Email yeah. me when you put the product on the shelf, not that you are creating a product. Yeah. I mean, it's just they send me What's emails all yeah. day long that they're going to launch something or they're about to start a study or they're going to apply, going to apply like they haven't even applied. They're yeah. going to apply or then they send out the email. They have applied. No, it's no. <laughs> Not until you have something real to happen. But the problem is, is that you're right. That takes a lot of time to sift through all that. Oh, yeah. 
And and that's, you know, and, and then, gosh, at this point, there's probably over 400 publicly traded cannabis companies. So mm-hmm. it does become a management issue of who to cover and what considered important to cover yeah and what and what is your business model is mainly advertising or how how it's are advertising you... and events like okay. most media companies advertising is a little tough you would have thought with cannabis companies not having anywhere to advertise yeah. that if they had somewhere that to advertise they would be all for it but i not find so. that the cannabis companies are maybe a little less mature when it comes to these types of decisions mm-hmm. they'll spend I don't know, $50,000 hiring Snoop Dogg to DJ for an hour to party, but then not think that they should spend money on advertising to get their brand name out. It's just very odd where you see some of the money getting spent. Well, let's let's talk about that a little bit because I think that's a, you know, I've heard this more than once that, and I'm not sure exactly why it is, you know, maybe because it's the, you know, federal legal issue and a lot of more mature, stable companies or, or you know, uh, historical companies not getting involved because of it right now that you end up having, you know, not as, you know, experienced or not as professionally run companies. And that leads to all sorts of kind of drama in the industry. I mean, do you, do you think that's the case? Do you think there's there's just a, a different experience, different levels of experience right now in the cannabis space that are that are driving some of these things? Or is this just the nature of, you know, a dynamic, high growth industry? It is. I feel it's definitely a, a cannabis industry issue. Okay. Uh, you've got a lot of people that went public and looked at that as if it was their own personal piggy bank <laughs> and did not quite understand what being a publicly traded company means. They didn't understand that, no, you can't just keep tapping money out of this. You know, you can't yeah. just keep issuing shares. Eventually, it's going to hurt you. Yeah. And they would just issue another million shares and or even another 50 million shares and keep issuing shares to just keep getting money in or do things that were violations of securities laws that most publicly traded companies would know, yeah, that's really stupid. Don't do that. Mm -hmm. But they would just do it and not think twice about it and and assume they wouldn't get caught. And if you've been in the securities industry for a long time, the SEC is very good at what they do. It's not, they they have, it is really easy for them to catch people at wrongdoing and they do that and that's what they do. And so it's very, um, naive of a lot of these CEOs to think that they're not going to get caught doing what they're doing. Yeah. And then they get caught and then it's a big problem for the company because you have CEOs that then have to get booted out and often they're the founders. So that that's definitely an issue. I the other part, the other side of that coin though is that you end up then with cannabis companies with all their C-suite people from outside the industry and then they're not really yeah. Is, is connected to the to the product. Yeah, and and the the rationale or that or the the reason for that is well, what what is what is your theory or what's what's your kind of explanation for why this is happening? So part of it is it's the the new the new thing. So you've got a lot of executives that get excited. It's the new thing. I want to be in on the new thing. It's the hot new thing. And so yes, I have a completely totally retail background. Hey. It's retail. It's just a different product. It's just cannabis instead of bras. Uh-huh. Um, so there is some of that. You also have some of uh, the companies that are trying to get credibility by saying, oh, we hired this guy from IBM or, oh, we hired this mm, guy yeah. from Apple. And now all of a sudden your credibility has risen because you're not just hiring 
you know, Joe from North California is your grower. Yeah. You've now got this guy from Apple and yeah. he's designing your store layout. Or, yeah. So there's a little bit of that where they try to um, embellish their team by hiring, you know, making these big hires. Yeah. And how, I'm kind of curious how you cover this. I mean, you mentioned this, oh, well, it's retail. It's just like bras. I mean, you know, on one hand, you know, it has this retail aspect. On the other hand, it has this kind of almost pharmaceutical aspect. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, it's an agricultural aspect. I'm like, how, how do yeah. you actually cover the space or, or when you look for, you know, kind of models or comparables or, or ways of doing analysis and things like that. What are the markets or the industries that you lean on or, or tie to, to to do that? So covering the companies, in some ways, you would compare the companies within the industry. So you're right. You would normally have an ag company you would compare to another ag company. But what we're seeing here with cannabis is that with these vertical operations, yeah, it doesn't make for an easy apple to apple comparison. Mm. So it's really for me with Green Market Report, we try to stay out of advocacy reporting. We try to stay out of legislative reporting. There are other people that do that very well. So we don't go in that lane. We just try to stay in the business side of it. So I often tell people when they say, oh, I have a medical company. I want to talk to you about their efficacy of Mm -hmm. of their product. Mm, That's okay. Call me back though. If that medical company has now done X amount in sales or there's a business angle to it, then yes, let's talk. But if it's just talking about the efficacy of their product, I'm going to pass. If it's a legislative issue, again, I'll normally pass unless it has some kind of, you know, banking aspect to it, or it's going to move the needle within the cannabis industry. Got it. So it's, yeah, you want to, you want to see how, how it's going to impact the financial performance, either of particular companies or of the industry as a whole. That's newsworthy for you, but just the pure legislative Correct. process. Yeah, got it. And do you slice up the market in any particular ways in terms of, I mean, I, I, you know, I know a lot of these companies are now going kind of vertically integrated, but to the extent mm-hmm. that you've got you know, just, you know, cultivators and processors and dispensaries and multi-state operators. I mean, like, do you categorize these things to some extent or how do you, how do you kind of make sense of the market? I do a bit. I do uh, definitely lump the MSOs together, which are the multi-state operators. So that category is definitely sprung up in the last year. Mm-hmm. It it wasn't such a big deal before because you couldn't really have operations in multiple states. Yeah. And what we started to see was companies figuring out how to do that. So mm-hmm. they would have whether they would have five different subsidiaries or you know five different headquarters, you know, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. As those early companies started to figure out how to solve for that problem, that's when we started to see that growth really go crazy there. So there's the multi-states, a lot of the ancillaries I break out into their own category. And, you know, ag tech a little bit, although I haven't been seeing as much with the ag tech. And cultivation, honestly, again, it just starts to really get wrapped into the MSOs. And then you have brands. And then you have some that are just brands that that license brands, produce brands. They're all about the brands. So really is those are the main categories. Yeah. And so what's, uh, what are the interesting topics for you right now? Like, what are the trends you're seeing? What are the topics that are, you know, kind of most interesting from a business reporting standpoint? What's going on of note in the cannabis industry over the last three, six months or, you know, time period that 
that is worth mentioning? Um, we're definitely seeing a lot of consolidation. That's just continuing to happen. The companies that have gone public end up having a lot of money that they've raised or they are able to go out and make acquisitions to make their company even bigger. Yeah. So we're seeing a lot of consolidation with acquisitions happening. A lot of uh, divorces are happening. So that's mm. been very interesting. Uh, cannabis is known for their quickie marriages and then shotgun <laughs> divorces. So, yeah. right. Yeah. A lot of companies think, hey, yeah, let's do this thing together. This is a great idea. And maybe don't vet the people that they're hopping into bed with very well. Yeah. I've, I've seen that a lot. And I, I've had people go, well, I just didn't know that so-and-so was, you know, had this this past. Yeah. And it's like, how did you, how did yeah. you not know? Like, yeah. Due diligence is not a, a not a strong clicks. word in this industry. Yeah. I do three yeah. clicks and I figure out this person has a, a background. Yeah. And you, you, no, whatever. So yeah, there's, we've seen a lot of that just recently, a lot of, you know, shotgun divorces and, and they've been fairly messy, which has been interesting also in the cannabis industry is yeah. because it's not a mature industry. People are not so careful with what they say. And so we get a lot of really dramatic details of some of these scandalous things and it's it's great <laughs> reading and entertainment for the rest of the people in the industry but you certainly would not see this type of stuff if you worked for coca-cola or yeah. procter and gamble you would never see this type of stuff hit the public realm mm. uh, but in cannabis it seems to be that's what we see week in and week out it's very yeah. interesting i mean do you think that's going to continue or is that just sort of the nature of where we are with the industry and then as the industry matures and grows like it, it will become more like some of these other established industries or or do you think there's just always going to be a a certain drama and edginess to to the cannabis i think world? we're, we're going to continue to see that for the next couple of years anyway yeah. i think that like I said, with all this consolidation movement and acquisitions that we've been seeing, I think that we've seen a lot of companies merge and come together and acquire people very quickly. And I think that we'll start to see some of those situations dissolve. Mm -hmm. And like I said, it's, it's, they, in cannabis, they dissolve usually in a very messy way. And until the industry matures, which I think is easily, you know, two, three to five years away, yeah. we'll continue to see this. Yeah, interesting. So tell me a little bit more about some of the events and, and things you're doing. So you, you've got the the website as being kind of your, your main channel. What are some of the other things you're doing around the community and building the business? Yeah, so we've got our flagship, which is Green Market Report. We have our next event in Chicago on May 7th, which we're real excited about it. We had our first summit this past September at One World Trade Center, which oh, yeah. was really and yeah, it was very exciting. What an amazing place! Uh, yeah. Looking down, you know, on the nine eleven Memorial Plaza, it's 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 a beautiful, beautiful building. Yeah. And um, you know, a little bittersweet. Yeah. But uh, we are having our next event in Chicago. Uh, there are so many MSOs that are basing out of Illinois right now yeah. that we really felt like Chicago had been skipped over as far as places no, right. for these types of events. Yeah. Um, so we're, we've got that plan. We are looking at doing a women's conference in New York and another, you know, once again, a 2019 conference in New York, uh, probably back in September, like, you know, just make that an annual thing. Yeah. And then we have been asked to do one in LA. I just haven't been able to figure out when to put that on the calendar. So yeah. we, you know, we, we really, again, it's, it's a bit of a financial focus. We try to keep it 
at about 100 and 150 people. We like to foster networking mm -hmm. at these types of events. At the really big conferences, you really don't have such a chance to sit down, talk oh, with people. Yeah. It's crazy. <laughs> 28,000 people, I think, at the last MJBizCon. It was, it oh, was a little was, overwhelming. <laughs> that was a little overwhelming. Yeah. I found that I would only be able to, to make like a couple of meetings at a time yeah. because it just was too, too difficult to, to get anything done. So I, I, I'm like you, I was, I found it a little frustrating yeah. because yeah. of the size. I mean, it's great for them. Yeah. Cause that's yeah. how they're, well, you need you know, it. You need again, the big show. This is how they're yeah. paying for their news organization yeah. is having this, this, this event. Yeah. So I think that there's something to be said for that. That's just not what, what we want to do. We yeah. want to keep it a little, more a little more intimate and foster the networking amongst the cannabis companies and their investors. Mm -hmm. And uh, and outside of the business, outside of Green Market Report, um, I know you're involved in a couple of different organizations. Tell me about how what else you're involved in and, and why you've gotten involved in these other areas in the cannabis space. Sure. So I co-founded a group called Industry Power Women, and it's a networking group for women executives in the cannabis industry. Right. Um, the cannabis industry has started out being really open towards women in the executive level, mostly because, again, it was, as we said at the top of this podcast, is that, you know, it was a had a bit of a stigma still attached to yeah. it. And so women were really willing to take that risk if they could be named a CEO or a CFO of a company, they're like, well, I'm not getting this over at Procter and Gamble, but I can get it over at this cannabis company. And so now I'm going to have that on my CV. Yeah. And exactly. we found that, that the women in cannabis at that level, you know, were really kind of, everybody felt like they were on their own, that nobody understood what they were doing or could reach out to. And so we started doing this networking group. It doesn't cost women anything. Any of our events are completely sponsored uh, so that they don't have to pay for tickets so that they can meet other women that are also at that level, at that executive level and talk and network and work with each other. So that's something I'm, I'm real proud of having co-founded. And I'm also on the board at Access Wire, which is a newswire that's devoted to cannabis press releases. And I'm on the advisory board to an infused wine company called House of Saka. And mm. they're out of Napa Valley and do infused wines right now. The first one is a rosé and it will be launched in March. And it is delicious. It has the alcohol is removed from this wine. It is. Oh, interesting. Got, yeah, it's got the, a bottle of wine has 10 milligrams of THC in it. Uh -huh. And it's the idea is that you can have a glass of wine and have the social aspect of, of drinking, but uh -huh. not the physical aspect of the alcohol and how it makes you feel. Yeah. And it, um, you know, if you taste some of these CBD, in, you know, CBD or THC infused beverages, they've got mm -hmm. a really skanky weedy taste. <laughs> yeah. And um, that's something that's been a difficult thing to solve for. And the woman that heads up this wine company, she has solved for that. So yeah. it's, it's absolutely amazing. So fascinating. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So I've kind of got, um, a few things and we've got, uh, another website we're going to be launching along with green market report, hopefully in the next couple of months that we've been building and it's going to be really cool. It's taken a lot of software. It always takes twice as long much. and costs twice as much as you originally planned, but yeah, yeah, but it, it's going to be really, really neat. And, um, there's nobody else is, is doing this type of thing. So I'm well, super excited we'll look about forward it. to hearing that and, uh, yeah. we can do, we can do another episode on that one. Um, yeah. we're going to hit time here. 
Deborah, this has been great. Uh, you know, impressive, uh, impressive business, uh, impressive what you're doing at the industry. You know, it was, it was uh, I've learned a lot and I appreciate the time and uh, being part of the program. Well, thank you for having me. And, and everybody can go to www.greenmarketreport.com if they want to see what we're talking about. Excellent. And I was uh, I will make sure that those are on the, uh, the URL is in the show notes here so people can click through. Again, Deborah, thank you for the time. And I appreciate uh, contributing. Thank you, Bruce. You've been listening to Thinking Outside the Bud with business coach Bruce Eckfeld. To find a full list of podcast episodes, download the tools and worksheets, and access other great content, visit the website at thinkingoutsidethebud.com. And don't forget to sign up for the free newsletter at thinkingoutsidethebud.com forward slash newsletter. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.